0: or launch your dream business. All of these courses are totally free. All you gotta do is head on over to uturnpodcast.com. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com. Now let's get started with this week's guest.
1: So here's what it is. Here's what it is. Like in a very essential way, you have two circuitries of attraction. All of us have two circuitries of attraction. I call one, attractions of deprivation, and one, attractions of inspiration. And they both feel like love, they both feel like love, but one leads to hell, and one leads to happiness.
0: Whoa. Okay, I'm like sitting here, I look like I just got shot with like a tranquilizer gun. (laughs) (laughs) I know, it's so intense. Guys, it's Ash on U-Turn, and this is yet another week of one of your absolute favorite topics. I hear from so many of you in the love category, and we did an episode on sexual chemistry uh, recently, and it just went through the roof. And so I thought it would be really powerful to do an episode on how to be attracted to people that are good for you, how to have that sexual attraction and desire um, in a world where we tend to attract, be attracted to people that aren't always good for us, whether you're married or you're dating. And so I thought who better to bring on to the show than Ken Page. He's an LCSW, a renowned psychotherapist, a leading voice of hope and wisdom for everyone looking to find and cultivate healthy lasting love. He's the host of the Deeper Dating podcast and he's the author of the bestseller Deeper Dating, which is all about how to drop the games of seduction and discover the power of intimacy. Ooh, so good. And mm-hmm. um you know, his, his podcast called Deeper Dating, um, has been covered, whether it's Psychology Today, Huffington Post, he writes, um, and it's been featured in O, oh, Oprah's Magazine, New York Times, Cosmo, everywhere. He's led hundreds of workshops on intimacy and spirituality for thousands of participants. I myself read his book and that was when I knew he had to come on the show. And I had a couple of you listeners contact me suggesting him. So, Ken, welcome. Thank you so much for making this time.
1: Oh, it's so great to be here and I'm honored to be on your show.
0: Yeah, you know what's so funny, Ken, is that, um, I have recording days. Like the way I manage my time is I have a few days a year I record, but I was so excited to have you that I just was like, and, and people will have noticed this with my podcast scheduling where they're like, oh, I can't do those three days. And I'm like, oh, let me circle back. I only record a few days a year. And, um, I circled back to you and was like, "When are you available? I don't even care. What day?" Like,
1: I am just oh, so excited. Oh, that's so kind. Thank yeah, you. Yeah,
0: yeah, you um your book was incredible and I know how much value everybody's going to get when they're listening to and we have about five steps on how to develop a sexual attraction to the right people. But before we get into that, I wanted to just um, get some curiosity. You said that you're a gay man and that you help across the board with different sexualities. And um, and so I also want to just share that context for anybody listening that we are looking at this episode through the lens of all forms of love and attraction. Um, and so I'm curious, Ken, what has guided you to this work? And then if we could get into what is destroying love for so many people?
1: Yeah, love to talk about those things. So I would say that for me, pain is what guided me to this work, and, and a burning desire for a healthy relationship. Because I came up, you know, as I'm 62 years old, and I'm a gay man, and I grew up in this amazing time when there was maybe the first tiny inklings of uh, of the possibility of freedom for LGBTQ people, um, but mostly it was just it was just prejudice and. Um, Finn Carling, who is a brilliant novelist, he said, I study. I don't just study gay people. He wrote wonderful work. And um, he said, I don't just study gay people. I study refugees because they will teach me the meaning of movement. And I study blind people because they will teach me the meaning of vision. I study gay people because they will teach me the meaning of love. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? It means so many things. But one thing it means is when you are given an obstacle toward a heartfelt goal, The way you have to find to get around it teaches you and the world about the essence of what that goal is. So I had a lot of obstacles in front of me, internal and external, to finding love, and I was what I called chronically single for decades. I really wanted a relationship badly, and I failed miserably again and again and again and again, and The journey that I took, which was a journey of learning, is a journey that changed my life and led me to being married with kids and having a very rich and full life, full of love. But man, it was hard work. And I tried to come to understand what blocked me and what I did. I tried to bottle my painful journey so it could help other people. And in doing so, I kind of learned some really important things, and the essence of it comes down to this, is that the skills of dating are the skills of intimacy, and the skills of intimacy are the most important skills in life. And so I try to kind of understand what blocks us and what leads us to love and present that as a path of growth and healing, not just a path of numbers or dating or trying to make yourself more attractive, because it's a grander path than that, mm-hmm. and the smaller path doesn't work work Mm -hmm. the wider bigger more powerful path is life-changing and it does work so that's what I try to teach
0: so powerful and so many people need it and I don't know of many things that can derail you quite like heartbreak (sighs) like I can't I mean thank God right now I'm writing my book for Hay House it's like I'm so glad my heart is in a good place and I'm in a good relationship because the heartbreak would just take me completely off this book and I'm curious to learn, for so many people listening, because I think right now they might be in the biggest destroyer of healthy new love. Um, Can you talk to me a little bit about anyone right now who's dating and they see something going somewhere or they're in a relationship and they're looking back at the beginning? What is the single biggest destroyer of healthy new love?
1: Oh, yeah, that's, um. I call it the wave, and nobody talks about this, and nobody teaches us what the hell to do about it, and I would say that the reason I was chronically single for so many decades, decades, is because of the wave, and when I go into communities and teach, I would say always between... A little under half and two thirds of the audience when I describe it raise their hands and say, Me too, me too, I totally get it. Mm-hmm. And so this is what it is. The wave is you meet somebody, you're like at least somewhat interested in right, there's some kind of a spark going on there. And then you find that they're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And then you find they really want to be with you. And then you find that they're consistent. And you find that they're kind. They're not nasty. They're decent. And they really like you. And they care about you. And all of a sudden, you feel slightly sick to your stomach and you just want to get out of there. You want to go back to the thrill of the hunt. You think there's got to be someone more sexy, or little things about them start to irritate you, or you find them boring. Um, All of these different things that happen that are because you have not yet taught yourself, you've not yet developed the circuitry where you can bear availability, kindness, goodness in a sustained fashion and unfortunately that's a lot of us and i know for me literally i can't tell you how many times i dated someone really nice and decent and i had this horrible thing happen when i did where i just felt like oh my attraction's going to go away i just feel kind of sick inside i'm not going to be able to do this i had it really bad Mm -hmm. but so many of us do and i call it the wave of distancing and i do think that it is the single greatest destroyer of healthy new love and i think if we were taught how to handle it it would it would lead to so many healthy relationships making it in this world like you just can't go out into the dating world without understanding what to do when the wave hits you so i've done a lot of thinking about that because the wave hit me so many times
0: oh my god I'm like, I'm on the edge of my seat. This is, I'm, anybody listening, I will not let Ken leave without us learning what to do with the wave
1: (laughs) yeah i'm so excited to share it because um i mean i even started a support group for chronically single psychotherapists because because there are so many of us and because we all had our own versions of the wave so yeah there are some kind of things that i want to teach and talk about first that'll help everyone have like a much more solid background into this whole understanding richer understanding of like the deeper physics of sexual and romantic attraction and then with. I'll be able to talk more easily about like, what do you do when the wave hits?
0: Great. Okay. Well then let's start with sexual attraction. You know, I have a couple friends who are married and they're miserable and they're continuing to try and fix something on their partner that they saw at date number one, two, three, or four. And, and now they're married and they're committing further and further because I think sometimes people, all part of denial is committing even more, you know?
1: Yeah. Things yeah.
0: Sometimes. And so I'm kind of curious to understand why, and this is your first point we talked about before we started recording, is why do we get attracted again and again and again to people who hurt us or who are not good for us or who bring out the worst
1: in us? Yeah. Okay. So I got a lot to say about this, but I'm going to start out with a concept that's mind blowing.
0: Oh, I'm so ready.
1: Um, <laughs> And it really is. And this is the concept. The concept is this. Okay, so picture a spectrum of attraction, like from zero to ten. And the people... Who are a zero are just not romantically, sexually attractive to you at all. There's like zero heat in that regard. Mm-hmm. And the people who are 10 are like so attractive that you could like feel kind of physically ill when you're in their presence mm-hmm. or really neurotic or really insecure. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the people who are like so blindingly hot to you. Mm-hmm. So. Couples research shows that the people who are the eights and the nines and the tens are that hot to you consciously because they have these great qualities and they're really cute, but unconsciously because they embody the worst characteristics of your primary caregivers and your heart is wants to go back to the scene of the crime to uh, to finally be loved right. Mm. That's the reason those people grab us so much Is unconsciously we know, we sense that they're gonna hurt us in similar ways to the ways that we were most deeply hurt by our primary caregivers, usually our parents.
0: I think a lot of people when they think about this concept, they think, well, my childhood was totally fine. Like, nobody really hurt me. Like, a lot of people are not in touch with the core patterns that they learn from their caregivers. So I'm curious for anyone listening right now, how can we help them start to see what that might be?
1: Well, one great way to do it if you're someone who felt like I had a really great childhood and three cheers and I believe in great childhoods and, um, you know, if you're blessed enough to have had loving, caring, consistent parents, you know, that will stay with you for your whole life. And that's great. But we're all souls, we're all exquisitely sensitive beings, and there's no way our parents, no matter how wise they are, are going to be able to make room for all the different parts of us. So one way to kind of get a handle on that is like if you've been attracted to people who have not been good for you again and again, and there's a whole process that I teach in my classes and in my book, Deeper Dating, there's a kind of way to get to this, but, um, you think about the ways that you have been hurt or the parts of you that have not been honored again and again in your relationships. Mm -hmm. Whatever that hurt is, in some way, if you really think about it, it'll remind you of a hurt that you've had when you were younger. Mm -hmm. And that's one way to begin to get a sense of that.
0: Mm -hmm. So, okay, let's say that somebody listening right now is either dating and they're like, I'm so sick of blank, like fill in the blank. It's the same thing. Right. Perfect. Um, perfect,
1: Yeah. And then that's a great way to do it. And then the next question is blank makes me feel fill in the blank about what the feeling is. And then I used to feel that.
0: Well, so the blank, the first one, just making sure everybody's following. It's like, I'm so sick of men who don't blah, 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 or women who don't blah, 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 like what they're not getting
1: right 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 and then then you ask yourself
0: when i don't get that i feel
1: right when i don't get that i feel so fill in the blank there i feel sad i feel neglected i feel not seen i feel furious and then the next question and this is like deep stuff like we're getting into like a really deep kind of thing here but then the next question would be when i was younger i sometimes had that same kind of pain it happened when Mm -hmm. and that's how you kind of like build the bridge but here's what i want to say you do not have to build the bridge to understand this concept and to go to the next steps we're talking about it's a great one to build it's a great one it's rich it's going to help you a lot but even if you can't don't worry about it yeah sometimes we get
0: so stuck in why when really it's just about knowing that that's there
1: that that's there. Yeah. And I'm going to kind of take that to the next step and offer everybody a concept that is um, if I left you with nothing else, this entire podcast episode, if I leave you with this and if it makes sense to you and if you can implement it, your future world around love will change. Uh-huh. I really believe that's true. Yeah. So here's what it is. Here's what it is. Like in a very essential way, you have two circuitries of attraction. All of us have two circuitries of attraction. I call one attractions of deprivation and one attractions of inspiration. And they both feel like love. They both feel like love. But one leads to hell and one leads to happiness
0: whoa okay i'm like sitting here i look like i just got a shot with like a tranquilizer
1: gun <laughs> <laughs> i know it's so intense whoa. and this is actually this is the piece of my book that, that that the oprah people exerted um uh because because it felt so important what attractions lead to love and what attractions lead to pain
0: mm, oh so- my god tell me more
1: Yeah, it's so, this changed my world. It changed my world to understand this. So, okay, we're going to talk first about attractions of deprivation and that circuitry. Okay, and all of us pretty much have this. Maybe some wildly healthy people don't have it at all, but the rest of us do. And that is where somebody kind of almost loves you right, or almost can commit, or almost treasures you but like not quite. Mm -hmm. And no matter what you do, Marianne Williamson said, you could like win the Nobel prize with these people. And they would pat you on the head and say, Oh, that's so sweet. (laughs) Uh (laughs) So yeah, these, these are attractions with people who you never get that feeling of total soul safety that lasts And that's the feeling you want. But we'll get back to that later. So it's somebody who you feel, it's like a scratch the itch feeling. If I could just get them to really love me. And you decide, you decide. Obviously, it must be because of a failing in me. If my glutes were better, if I didn't have cellulite, if I was more confident, if I didn't do that embarrassing thing, if I had a much cooler job. If those things happened, this person would really be like totally down for this relationship and it's not true it's just not true but it's endlessly seductive it's the same thing that makes people get gambling addictions it's the thing that keeps people stuck in these patterns because you know what it feels like love it feels just like love it's sexy it's hot in some ways it's more white hot than anything else so you feel like i've just got to get this and so many of us spend so much time because it feels so much like love thinking well i'm just kind of screwed up like i just keep getting attracted to the bad boy or the bad girls those are your attractions of deprivation they're sexy they're seductive they're a slippery slope and they're really intense Mm. we've all got them some healthy people have them less but it's like you just feel like if i just do this thing i'll be able to get them to get it if i'm just better in this or that way so those are attractions of deprivation and all of us have that circuitry
0: Oh my God. I'm identifying so much of myself in that. And oh, yeah. so talk like attraction of inspiration. Um, what does that, how do you know? Because there's a thing with deprivation where nobody's perfect, right? So somebody might be working through this paradigm of always being attracted to somebody that just quite can't give them what they really want, which is lasting love. Um, but how do they know that maybe it's just like not deprivation. Maybe it's just that that perfect person isn't perfect. They can't give them everything.
1: Do you know what I mean? I do. I do. And that's deep and that's really important. And now in saying that you're drilling down from a bigger, broader understanding to like a more specific one, it's like like a map. will tell you how to get from point A to point B. And if it's like an inch equals 100 miles, it's going to look really easy. But when you drill down to the road, Mm -hmm. you're going to see like potholes in the road. There's going to be a detour. It's like it's much more complex. And you're bringing up probably the most important complexity in that whole journey. Mm -hmm. So this is what I'm going to say about that. And and I'm keeping it broad just because I need to in this case. What you're saying is absolutely true. But what you're going to look for to know the difference is certain attributes. And those attributes that mark an attraction of inspiration will help you know if you're digging in the right spot or you're not.
0: Mm. Okay, well, I mean, I'm on the edge of my seat, Ken. <laughs> Let me have the
1: good. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I'll just say one more thing first. When you make a decision, that you are not going to pursue your attractions of deprivation anymore, period, the end, you're done, and you're only going to pursue your attractions of inspiration, it's a heroic choice, and your world will change. Your world will change. Mm -hmm. So let me say a little bit more about how you know your attractions of inspiration. Here are the key ways. Here's the biggest, biggest key way. You ask yourself, with this person, Does my soul feel safe with this person, with this man, with this woman? Does my soul feel essentially safe? Not perfectly safe in every way, in every situation, but in an essential way, do I feel I am safe with this being? If the answer's no, it's probably not an attraction of inspiration.
0: And what do you think? I know in personal development, we talk a lot about safety and how, on one hand, you can co-create that with a person. On another hand, it's kind of an inside job to feel safe, right? So how do we figure out what you can have this feeling of safety, but what is happening in an attraction of inspiration that creates that feeling or what indicators or um, personality traits or ways somebody relates to another create safety?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I would say that, um, there's a quality of goodness that you feel, you palpably feel a quality of goodness from this person. Mm. And then it's not like you feel a goodness toward you because they're in love with you, but they're nasty to the weight person. Um, That's an indicator right there because people can be really nice in romance, but if you don't see that same goodness as a general principle they live by, baby, they're not an attraction of inspiration, period, the end, I'm telling you. So that's, that's one way. There's also a commitment to truth. They're going to be truthful to you even if it's hard for them. And I don't mean brutally, nastily true. I mean true like revealing stuff that might be vulnerable or might be hard for them to say. But they have a love of truth that's big enough that you know that they're going to be essentially honest with you. And you will feel these things. You will feel the goodness. You will feel the decency. You will feel the truth. And then you'll feel an availability. Like this person... It might be new, so it's not like they're making a lifetime commitment, but they're not fleeing love. Or if they have moments or times that they do flee love, they come back and they admit that they just got scared. There's there's a palpable quality of availability and presence and interest in you and consistency growing over time. And those are the attributes Mm. that are like the basic attributes of attractions of inspiration.
0: You know, this makes me think a lot about like this idea in society where we met quote unquote, the one. And um, I'm curious what your thoughts are on somebody who, and, and I'm actually this, like I had so many attractions of deprivation after being in a very long relationship that almost became marriage. And now I'm in an attraction of what sounds like inspiration and I mean, just, yeah, See, You know, I mean, right?
1: You can tell, totally. you can feel it. Like, yeah, yeah.
0: And that's, old, what,
1: that's what I want to say to everyone. Yeah. Look for
0: that. It, well, the old guys that I used to date, they'll like circle back because this relationship has just been a few months now. And it's so funny because I forgot what deep safety, availability, truth, interest, curiosity, love, consistency. Like I forgot what those truly feel like?
1: You're giving me the chills. That's right. Yeah. yeah.
0: and it's like I I love myself as much as one can when they're picking d- deprivation. I love myself as much as someone can when they're choosing a career they love when they put good things in their body. And I was with so many men who were like the sexy CEO that like forgot to call me back because his meeting was too long. You know.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yes.
0: And, and now that's I'm, it. I'm with like this soulful, loving, there, make sure he moves the time to be there on time for me guy. And um I'm I'm scared of the wave. Like when you talk about that, I'm like, oh my God, hopefully the wave doesn't hit. And if it does, I'm excited we're here to know what to do about it. And I think so many people listening, they always tell me, you know, like I'm my own I'm the U-turn podcast guinea pig is really what I am, like just sharing Mm-mm. myself. And so I'm, I'm really looking to understand the idea of, oh, I found the one. Because I have a lot of girlfriends who are looking for the one. We're in our 30s. They want to find the one they can do their life with. Yeah. Um, what role does time play in that? What role does the inspiration play in that? Because I know there's an element of compatibility as well. Do you think that when you feel that safety, it's because you're compatible? Or can you feel a lot of safety and be like, we're just not compatible?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, absolutely you can. And this is what I say all the time. The primary question is, does my soul, or if you prefer, my deep heart, feel safe with this person? And then there are a million other questions, and there are important questions. But that needs to be the first one. The other ones more will take care of themselves. There definitely does need to be compatibility. Um, Also, there are issues like, and I'm just going to put this out. If you or if your partner have a real substance abuse problem, it's not going to have a happy ending. Mm. If you or your partner get sober, get sober, that's what I want to say, or or have your partner get sober, because if they're not sober, you're not going to end up happy, no matter how lovely they are. Because they will not be an attraction of inspiration, because their primary loyalty will be to that substance in important ways that will leave you let down and betrayed.
0: Well, how long do you wait? Like there's some people right now who are in marriages where their partner maybe just came out of nowhere and said, hey, I'm, you know, addicted to uh, porn or gambling. It's like, how long do you stay in a marriage until that doesn't work? Or, and I know I'm taking a bit of a tangent, but I think it's relevant.
1: Yeah, me too. Me too. Well, I want to distinguish between substances, um, alcohol, drugs, because those have a kind of like very hard hitting chemical uh, effect on the body. And um, so I'm going to separate these out. Well, no, first I'm going to put them together. So let's say there's those possibilities, substance abuse. Let's also say maybe it's like a serious gambling addiction, which is very serious, a porn addiction, which also can be very serious. In all of those cases, your beloved partner needs to get help and real help and if they're not willing to get help then you've got a problem and this may well become an attraction of deprivation and you have a right to say if you can't deal with this i don't know if we can be a match Mm -hmm. or address this get sober and then we'll be together or if it's a partner that you're with already you know and this is all with love and compassion because we all have our stuff but this does need to be dealt with and here's the other thing you, your partner will not be able to deal with this through willpower. They will need the. They will need a community of support. Mm-hmm. They will need um, a twelve-step program, which I believe in hugely. They'll need a therapist who's highly skilled in this, but not just a therapist. A community of support. So, so those are just some things I want to say. You don't need to leave the person you're with, but do know that ultimately those things will make the relationship not work if they're not dealt with. And the other one that I just need to add is unstabilized serious psychiatric disorders. Your beloved needs to get treated, get help, and get those addressed. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of their own cases. Mm-hmm. So I just want to say that first, because oh. that's that's a really, really important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, yeah, all of us have flaws. And Harville Hendricks, one of the most brilliant, wise uh, couples therapists, he says you reach a certain point in every relationship where the thing you need most from your partner is the thing that's going to be hardest for them to give you. And that doesn't mean the relationship is over. That means it's beginning. Now, that happens after the honeymoon phase. And then the key to that, when you discover the deep and profound imperfections of your partner and they discover yours is just that you both are willing to work together on it that you love each other and care about each other so much that you say that you say we're committed to growing through this together
0: you know kind of thinking about the you know these factors of first safety and then compatibility it's like i imagine a lot of people have relationships over time where it starts off as this is the one this is the person i want to spend my life with so going back to that question like do you believe that you need a lot of time to know that or do you believe in that whole idea of when you know you know
1: oh well you know um laurie colwyn who was a wonderful novelist she had this great story there's a story about a man and a woman that met together and they met at a buffet and uh the the woman had piled all this fabulous food on her plate and the guy just had like a few little things and he looked at her and he said you're gonna eat all that and she said yeah (laughs) and um she said those two minutes could have forecasted their entire relationship if either of them listened. And um, because, you know, he was kind of stingy of spirit and she was broad and generous of spirit. Um, and it ultimately didn't work. But so we do know a lot really quickly. And um, if there's time, I'll teach you all the technique that you can use um, that will help you know in an intuitive gut level um, if this person really is an attraction of inspiration. But, you know, um, in many cases we know right away. But then there's also the overtime thing Mm -hmm. so it takes time and that's a really good thing and when you discover the stuff is the person willing to face it do they love you enough and do they love themselves enough that they don't blame it on you and gaslight you but they say yeah this was me i'm sorry now that's gold when you find that Mm -hmm. just pure gold those are attractions of inspiration and so here's the last thing i want to say about this is that when you begin to understand what the circuitry of attraction of inspiration looks like you learn something really really important and a piece of that is is what it feels like to feel safe and what it feels like to be really in the presence of goodness mm. and when that happens for you it's just a very very different thing
0: i'm just thinking about a friend i need to tell to get a divorce it's so painful mm. listening to this. i know
1: i know i know yeah. you know it's it's so it's so hard. An image that I have is like a little kid who's got a piece of glass in their hands, but it's broken glass, but it's colorful and it's beautiful, and they won't let go of it for anything, but the inside of their hand is bleeding. How many people just won't let go? But for everyone now, what I wanna to say to you is if you can make an existential decision, even right now at this moment where you say, no more attractions of deprivation, only attractions of inspiration, I'm telling you, a few amazing things are going to happen. Well,
0: I, I, One, I, oh, go ahead, go oh,
1: ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead. Well,
0: I imagine if they make that decision that there's still the early phases of relationship where you don't know if it's deprivation or inspiration. Like, that guy doesn't owe you the text the next day always. Or do they, Do you know Or that woman doesn't owe you that follow-up? You know, like all of the things that feel like consistent good love, sometimes they build over time. So how does? what are some early indicators that help people figure out if that person is good for them. Do you know what I mean? Because
1: there's a lot of
0: stories and rules in the dating world of like, well, you know, you guys had a date on Monday.
1: It's okay that he called you on Thursday or she called you on Thursday. Do you know what I mean? I do. I do. And that's so important. And especially in the beginning, like, especially first of all, before you've met You do need to give someone space because especially in this world of online dating, there is a kind of Wild West quality that somebody doesn't owe you that much yet until you actually meet them or speak on the phone and connect. So so if you send someone something about you and you've never met before and it takes them a few days to get back to you or even a week, give them a break. Absolutely give them a break. If dialogue is starting to continue and then they disappear, that's not such a good sign um but yeah i think in the beginning we do need to give each other breaks but i want to say early on you will sense if a person knows how to listen to you you will sense if they have a generosity of spirit you will sense if they have a quality of goodness and you will sense if they have a quality of consistency of presence Mm. you will sense those things and you'll sense them quickly and if you could check off every one of those boxes and say yes yes celebrate because those people are gold and when you find someone who's an attraction of inspiration your shot at happiness in life skyrockets mm. Mm, that's so it good. really does
0: yeah, I, I love that. And I think it's good that you're making those early indicators because I think a lot of friends and a lot of people, like, we get hurt in love. We get tired. We start to pull the trigger early and think, Oh, this is another def- deprivation. Can't do it. When maybe it is a good person and it's just new and they need to give it three, four, five, six, seven dates before they make a decision.
1: Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, let's say, for example, this is a whole other thing. You're a little bit attracted to somebody, but you're not wildly hot for them. And you think, am I like kind of like committing myself to a future of like boring sex or someone I'm not that attracted to? That's another thing.
0: So tell me about that, because I think a lot of people have that. There's a lot of like, I I have something there, but not a lot.
1: Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so here's one thing I want to say. Unavailability sparks turn on. It just does. So when unavailability is not there and availability is there, um it's a different kind of like the arc of healthy attraction is a slower Less sharp arc than than the arc of unhealthy attraction, which is like boom, like right up there, and then and then a kind of crash of pain. Um, with someone who's really all these qualities that I described, it's probably going to have a gentler, quieter kind of experience for you. It won't be so frantic. It won't be so roller coaster. Like I got a letter recently from a woman who said I was dating this guy and he knew he loved me, but I didn't know I loved him. And I read your book. I listened to your podcast. And I got to understand the importance of safety and kindness and goodness. And when I thought, oh my God, this is a different experience of falling in love. I looked at him and I realized I had fallen in love with him. And she said, we're getting married soon. And I couldn't have dreamed of this kind of happiness. Mm -hmm. So I just want to say to everybody, it's a different arc. It's a different process. And here are some things you could do. If you're in that situation somebody has these inspirational qualities you've got some sexual attraction to them but maybe not a ton 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 so here are some things you could do first notice the parts of their personality and their body that do attract you like maybe you love how he is with his dog so you make sure you have dates where you get to see how fabulous he is with his dog um and you get to enjoy him and his dog with you together or maybe his artwork or her artwork is amazing so you take time looking at their artwork maybe the sense of humor is great so you do things where you enjoy the sense of humor attraction to some degree is a choice Now, you gotta be sexually and romantically attracted to somebody. Every one of you, I am not saying just because someone is a good person with them if you're not turned on. You have a right to be really turned on. But to some degree, if there's some degree of turn on and you make a choice that you're gonna cultivate that, you do have the power to do that. And one way is by really enjoying their good personality qualities. Then you look at them. Maybe you feel like um, his or her uh, legs are just not that attractive to you. But you love his or her smile or arms or belly or whatever. You let yourself kind of fetishize those parts a little bit. You let yourself run with your fantasies. What would I like to, and, and really allowing yourself, you know, even early on before you're going to do this stuff, you let yourself fantasize about how you would like to sexually enjoy them. The kind of romantic stuff that would be a turn on. And you make a choice to cultivate the springs, the wellsprings of turn on wherever they exist. We get to do that. And when we do that, Sex becomes hotter. It becomes more exciting. The connection becomes better. And over time, we can actually cultivate our turn-ons.
0: So it's like paying attention to the parts of their personality or even their physicality that you enjoy and creating opportunities, whether it's like the time you spend together, wrapping it around that part of them that you like, or the way you fantasize about them, like paying attention to that physical thing, how does somebody figure out if it's there or it's not like, do you believe that as we're all just animals and we kind of know, like it's somewhat there, it's just not crazy. And also, um, I have a lot of friends who have told me like, yeah, I I love my husband. It's just not the best sex of my life. And I think a lot of people get into a story about that. Like, you know, I'm spending my life with this person. It should be the best. What, What do you have to say about that for anybody listening who's going through that right now?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to give you an image, and this image is a map to um, authenticity, fear, and thrill. (laughs) And here's what it is, because it's going to help with this. It is a map that will help you deepen sexual turn-on and excitement in your relationship. Okay, so just picture an image of a target. With an inner ring, and each ring going outward, you know, just like just like a regular target. Imagine that the closer you go into the center, is the closer you go into your, as you said, animal self, or even your most deeply vulnerable self. The the excuse me, I just have to move my cat.
0: No problem. I I love that. that I'm not even editing that out because that's so great.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, Babel. Sorry. No, go, go, go. Okay. Sorry. Um, <laughs> thanks. Okay. So, so you picture this target image, and the closer you go into the center, it's the stuff that's the most authentic parts of you sexually, romantically, emotionally, spiritually. Now, the closer you get in toward the center, the scarier it's going to be. The more charge there's going to be. The more you could be hurt, but the more you could be inspired. Now, um, uh, sexual, a lot, a lot of research proves this, proves this out. The more you go into zones that are novel, and scary with your partner, the bigger the Eros is gonna become. And there's fascinating studies on this. Um, I don't know if we'll have time to talk about it, but fascinating, fascinating studies. That the more there's a little bit of thrill, a little bit of edge, a little bit of fear, the more sexy things become, the more intense and alive and romantic they become. Now, by doing this thing of moving more toward the center of your target, What am I not saying I want in sex? What would be me being really wild and going for it in sex? Emotionally, what would be the next level of my going into the center of this circle of who I really am with my heart and soul and sharing it? The more you do it, the more scared you're going to be, the more alive you're going to feel, and when your partner meets you and makes space for that, the more the more of a wild, exciting aphrodisiac that is. That's a way that you can deepen sexual turn-on with your partner. If you're not going into that inside circle in your sex life, your sex is going to become boring. If you are and you're playing in that arena, your sex life will become more alive. But so will your emotional life with your partner. It's hard and it's scary, but the more you risk deep radical authenticity with a partner that's why you need a partner who's an attraction of inspiration the more you do that and it's met the more thrilling and exciting and juicy your love becomes
0: yeah wow I mean I just it's I think it's one of the scariest things because I feel like sexual attraction the way I have noticed it is that it's either there and nobody's thinking about it or they don't feel like it's there and it's all you can think about So I'm kind of curious just to support the people who are listening. Maybe right now they're feeling like, um, one thing that kind of fascinates me listening to your field of work here is what if something starts with inspiration and it becomes deprivation in some way? Maybe one partner feels like, wow, we've been together for four years and suddenly I just don't feel like he's here anymore or she's here anymore. And whether that's sexual or emotional, like the person stops paying attention to them. So what are your thoughts on relationships that move from inspiration to deprivation?
1: Well, yeah, you know, that's a great point. And the research shows that if you look at the line of quality of communication, if you graph the quality of communication um, among uh, in spousal relationships, you basically see a graph where it goes down, down, down over the years. Literally, it's like it's a very, very clear and obvious uh, eroding and degrading of the quality of connection. So it takes work. To change that. So expect that exactly what you described will happen. And that's where you have to get vulnerable. And that's where you have to uh, turn your anger into an ask with your partner. Mm-hmm. That's where you have to reveal what your needs are and what your wants are. And you need to think, what is my partner not getting from me? That's where the real work of intimacy happens. That's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. But that is where, baby, you need a foundation of a relationship with someone who's going to be honest and caring and good and generous. That's where push comes to shove. That's where if you don't have that in a partner, you're in danger of of losing the relationship, and that's why it matters so much that you choose someone like that.
0: Mm-hmm. And kind of going back to this idea of moving towards the center of the target your deepest authenticity, vulnerability, connection. Um, what, what kind of going back to this idea of having the best sex of your life, do you have a belief that some people pick a partner that that's just never going to happen with?
1: Mm. I would say a couple things. One, yeah. And then two, like probably nobody has a partner where the full spectrum of their sexual desires will be met. I think that's really, really true too. And then you need to make a space where you honor those parts of yourself and, and you make space for them in your own head. And you see if you can get part of that need met in the relationship. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that always does happen. And I think that no matter where you are in your happiness level, the work is still the work. You still got to do that work. And you know what? You're not going to know how rich the healing can be until you go there and do it. There's a good fight in every relationship, and we got to take on the good fight. And the good fight is where our needs aren't being met and our partner's needs aren't being met and where a friend of mine was told by a therapist of his, he was talking about his relationship with his husband, and the therapist said, you're going to spend your entire life learning a new language and it's the language of your partner because it may seem like it's the same but it's not so that's a lifelong journey but but try these techniques do these techniques and you'll 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 discover how much is possible over time
0: i love that and you know going into i think it's possible for people to hone their actual sex and i hear that But I'm curious about sexual pull because a lot of what you're talking about, you know, polarity is, is when you walk in the room and you're staring at one person, they're staring at you. It's like two animals noticing each other in a field of animals. And so I'm curious about that. Like it's I hear that maybe people will not have the best sex of their life with their partner or maybe the full spectrum of their sexuality won't be met by their one partner. um, And that's okay. Uh, But I'm also trying to understand sexual pull. Like, what if, you know, I'm I'm wanting to talk to the person that I think is the majority that they walked into the room and they were somewhat attracted to the person and maybe they're feeling a sadness now, like the rest of their life, they may not have the same turn on, you know, because we are so attracted sometimes to deprivation, to unavailability. So what can we say for sexual pull and learning to build that turn on so that you're not just having good sex, but you're wanting to have sex with that person?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I do want to say, I want to say this for every long-term couple. Sometimes neither of you want to have sex. Have it anyway. I mean, how many people have the experience of like, oh no, we have to do the dishes, we have to do this, we have to do that. We don't have time for sex. I'm not even thinking about sex. But then you get into bed and you start playing with each other and there's foreplay and there's touching each other's erogenous zones and then like damn yes, we want to have sex. So that's one thing I want to say is keep Having sex, don't stop having sex. There's this term called lesbian bed death, and I think it's true for everyone. But it's like what happens when lesbian couple like all of a sudden just stop having sex, and they become dear dear friends, but like no sex. You don't want that to happen. So so part of that is consciously doing it, and and consciously growing. And I want to say like um you know there's so much research out there about tantric sex. I think that's great stuff. I think everybody should consider learning tantric sex techniques, which bring you to levels of depth and intensity and connection with your partner that, you know, are just so worth it and so worth exploring. And um, so, so I guess what I'm saying there is that sexual attraction really can be grown. But I also hear what you're saying, and I want to acknowledge that to some degree, like there is the sadness that maybe a person who doesn't have red hair like you've never been attracted to red hair and your your spouse has red hair and oh my god like i'm never going to get to have sex with a brunette again you know i just i think we need to leave room for those feelings and be kind to ourselves because they're just human feelings to have and somewhere inside we could chew on a fantasy of having sex with a brunette um and and not you know uh castigate ourselves for that because you know no one is going to meet all of your sexual needs but here's the thing if you're Full-throttle heart, full-throttle vulnerability, and also full-throttle expressing your turn-ons, going for your turn-ons, and having your partner do it, your sex is probably going to become pretty amazing. And we do have the power to do that.
0: Mm, mm, I love that. And okay, so those of you who are taking notes, we've got understand why do we get attracted and attracted again. How can we learn to be attracted to people who are good for us? So kind of recapping that you were saying, Ken, that's about like really understanding what it is that you like about them and creating opportunities to amplify that or be paying more attention to being around that
1: and sexualizing it and fetishizing it
0: yeah yes and even asking for what you want going closer to the circle the center of the target of like yeah. that vulnerability and then you were saying learning to build turn on an attraction to someone who is good for you um so recapping that um what would be your recap for that for anybody taking notes
1: Oh, sure. Okay, well, first of all, I want to say you cannot make yourself become more sexually attracted to someone. And if someone's good for you as hell, but they don't attract you, give yourself a break. Let them be your friend. I in no way am saying that you need to force your attractions because we cannot force our attractions. But sometimes we can educate them. And as you do the work, and this is something that's awesome, uh, a little off course but, but related, as you do the work, like when you make the decision of I'm going to be who I am I'm going to live from the center of the circle and I'm only, only, only going to be with people that value that dignify it and treasure it. As you learn to do that, your sexual and romantic attractions will actually slowly, slowly, slowly begin to change. Mm -hmm. You're going to lose your taste for attractions of deprivation and your turn on is going to grow for healthy relationships. That's why every one of you who's single and does this work now, upgrade these things and you will upgrade the quality of the person you're going to meet next and be turned on to next. Mm -hmm. So, Just want to say that because I think that it's a gradual process, and um, it's a process that actually changes our attractions. But assuming there's some sexual attraction and spark, you build on that, you play with that, you have fun with that, you still give yourself space, and you see if it grows. And either they're going to become more beautiful to you, or they're not. Mm -hmm. And if they don't, you have your answer. And if they do, you have your answer.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, going into if we're, you know, so another point we were talking about was if we're wired to be attracted to bad things, how can we rewire? So someone right now, I'm guessing is feeling powerless. You know, like I keep getting these partners that don't want me or I keep chasing after something that's never gonna be mine or whatever it is. Um, How can we rewire what we want?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is the deeper journey and it's a journey that I'm going to speak about briefly, but I, I can't, they here. I can give you a lot of tips that are big and important and profound. This is a deeper piece of work. And I'll say something about this. This is the place of what I call our core gifts, and it's what I spend a great deal of time in my book and my courses, my podcast focusing on, and that is the deepest and most essential parts of you, that the more you learn to treasure them and name them and honor them, I call them our core gifts. They're the places where life can hurt us the most but also touch us the most. And we learn to hide those parts of ourselves because they feel too vulnerable, or too innocent, or too different, or too strong, or too tender. Those parts of ourselves that are the most fiercely us parts and the degree to which we can't live in the heat of those parts of ourselves, in the truth of those parts, to that degree we're gonna end up attracted to people who aren't good for us. It's just what happens. To the degree that you learn to name your core gifts, and that's a piece of work that's rich and that I talk about in a lot of ways, um, but but it's hard to really simplify. As you learn to, to, to appreciate those parts that you maybe are timid to reveal, the parts that are really your heart and your soul, as you learn to dignify those parts of you, you're going to meet better people and you're going to be attracted to them. It's amazing how that happens, but it happens over time. So even if you feel like it's never happened for you, I promise you, inside you you have the circuitry of attractions of inspiration Mm -hmm. and the more you do this work of treasuring who you are and only looking for people with whom your soul feels safe little by little your tastes will change you will feel more empowered, and it's going to feel like a really different journey.
0: Yeah, it is. That's I can t- be your testimonial for that thought. You are. You <laughs> yeah. are.
1: You've talked about, yeah. yeah. You've taken that journey. Totally. So you're a teacher of this. I love what you're saying.
0: Mm. Well, I'm also curious, like, there was a guy before this one that I'm with, and he was the ultimate attraction of deprivation, and I think it was so miserable dating him that it, like, pushed me into this proper Alignment and choice. Um, And I'm also curious, like, what happens to those people? Because there's a lot of them. Like, I think a lot of women, especially friends that I have, men too. It's like, they. I have a guy friend who really gets caught in this. They buy into the belief that that person's going to change for someone else. And maybe they will. But what is your truth, Ken, for what happens to these people that are so depriving for someone else?
1: Mm, mm -mm. Well, here's what I want to say. All of us have aspects of attractions of deprivation. All of us have those qualities. None of us are perfect. And so, you know, it's a journey. It's a journey. If you are one of those people, if you are not sober, you're going to keep being an attraction of deprivation until you become sober. If you have a drinking problem or a drug problem, that is one thing that's really true. All of us have issues that we need to work on. The question is just, are we working on them? And for those of us who are, our relationships will get better and better. This is something I say a lot. Like it's not like only some people have fear of intimacy. If you're breathing, you have fear of intimacy. And if you can face the ways in which you flee love, that's like being a hero in your own life. And when you face those and try to change them, your world will open up. That's all of our job to do. So all of us who live in the purgatory of being mixed bags, we just need to do the work. And if we don't do it, we'll keep ending up in pain. And if we do do it, we're going to keep upgrading our romantic lives and futures.
0: Mm, I love that. And I'm also just so caught on the wave and Uh, and wanting uh, to close with that is oh yes let's talk about it and you know and and for anybody who's taking notes that fourth step being learn how to rewire it sounds like ken it's it's about making the choice
1: it's about making the choice and then doing the work Absolutely. But the sweet spot, the sweet spot here is that you'll be rewarded every single step of the way. By choosing attractions of inspiration, you'll love yourself more. By choosing to lead with your authentic self, you'll become stronger, more fierce, more beautiful in the world. And when you make those choices, you're going to meet better people and you're going to be more turned on to them. And there's actually fascinating research about that, too. So it's a journey of happiness. It really, really is. you Life will become more happy as you do these steps and more filled with love. Mm. So, yeah, so so it's work. It's absolutely work. And it's work that in my book, I kind of teach an entire course in how to do that.
0: Yeah. And like for people listening now who maybe they're in the wave where oh, yes, the wave. they made the choice. They're attracted to, they rewired and they chose somebody good for them. And now they're in the wave of like, well, am I even really attracted to this person? Maybe I got to go. Maybe this isn't the one. And then they're in a bunch of stories about what it means for the future of the relationship. Where do you go from there?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, as someone who has lost countless relationships because of the wave, as someone who has been more plagued by the wave than almost anybody I know on the planet, uh, I got some tips for you <laughs> about what to do about it. Tips that I wish someone could have taught me, but but they didn't, and I had to learn them. Well, I guess over time, therapists helped me, coaches helped me, and I kind of learned the hard way. So happy to give those tips. So here's what I want to say first. You don't have the wave when someone's unavailable. You don't. You get the wave when someone's available. So getting the wave is a sign of availability. So that's something to note. Uh-huh. And something to celebrate right there.
0: Loving your optimism. When you're in the tidal wave and it all hurts, at least you're with an available human. <laughs> yes,
1: yes, yes. At least because it won't happen if they're unavailable. Then you'll be like, oh, I wanna get them. Yeah. So so that's one point. Um <clears throat> So, so, I, I'll just say some more things about the wave. Um, some people experience the wave as like really physical repulsion. I used to experience that. Some people experience it like all of a sudden the smell of that person makes you sick. Like you can't bear their body smell even though it was a smell that you used to like. Mm-hmm. Or their laugh becomes just unbearable. I know someone who the wave for him was like uh, his his boyfriend's laugh. And he would say to his friends, doesn't he have the most horrible laugh? And his friends would say, no. You're in <laughs> the
0: wave. He has completely yeah. normal laugh.
1: <laughs> And and my friend had to keep asking that. Wait, are you sure it's not a horrible, gruesome laugh? Because, um, you know, we, we fixate on these things. So, um, and for some people, it's a sense of boredom. Well, maybe they're not smart enough for me. Maybe they're not funny enough for me. Maybe they're not edgy enough for me. Um, or... You're like really enjoying them. And all of a sudden you see this insanely hot person walking down the street and you think, oh, my God, that's the level of hotness that I want in my life and in my partner. You know, it happens in so many different ways. Um. It's happened to me, you know, in all of those different waves. W- ways. So here's the deal about what to do about the wave now that we've talked about everything that we've talked about. Yeah, I'm literally,
0: One, I'm getting two. blue balls. I'm like, how do I deal with this? Oh, sorry <laughs> about that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So here's the big secret of the wave. It is a wave and waves pass Mm. if you can stick around without suffocating yourself by going further than you want to with that person or without fleeing the wave will pass it really will And your good feelings will come back for this person. It's really true. I remember when I quit smoking cigarettes. When I got a wave of wanting to smoke, down to the bones of my being, I knew that the wisest, smartest, most self-loving thing I could do was to smoke. Like I knew down to my bones. I'm a smoker. This is what I'm made for. I'd be killing myself not to smoke. But when the wave passed, I'd be like, whew. Thank God I didn't smoke. Oh my God. It was that intense at first. The wave hits and it breaks. And when it passes, and I'll tell you how to, what to do to not flee. But when it passes, your attraction will come back to some degree. Your interest will come back and you will actually be able to see more clearly. Is this person right for me or not? The wave passes. Don't run before it passes now here's what you can do to not have to flee before it passes don't suffocate yourself with more intimacy than you're ready for let's say you're with someone and you're having the wave okay Mm -hmm. and like the plan is that you were going to like have a three-hour romantic dinner at home and then go to bed and you just feel like i can't i can't (laughs) so then make a different date go on a boat and have dinner on the boat, go see a movie, hold hands, Mm. do whatever you want to do, but don't do more than you want to do, and don't flee. Mm. And what you'll find is when you give yourself that space, the feelings will come back. You go to the movies, you're holding your partner's hand, and it's like sexy, and it's nice, and your feelings come back again a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it's like, thank God they didn't disappear forever. And so that's the most important thing to remember is it's a wave and it passes. And if you don't demand more of yourself and you don't flee, it'll pass. And when it passes, you'll have a clearer sense of who that person is. I went through the waves so many countless times. Sometimes the image that I had of it was like I was sitting on a canoe and there wasn't enough water. And I was like moving the canoe with my hands, but scraping and scraping on the bottom until I got to the deeper water. But then you get to the deeper water and you're floating. Mm-hmm. Even with my husband, who I I was so attracted to him, and I felt like I'm never going to have the wave with this guy. I had it for about a year and a half. Wow,
0: that's a and, long wave, Ken.
1: <laughs> well, it wasn't continuous, or I would have left him because I would have known he wasn't right for me. But I would have the wave, and I would use these techniques, and then my turn-on would come back. Ah. My adoration for him would come back, and I'd go, yes, the wave is gone forever. But no, it wasn't. And I had to go through this a lot, a lot. Now it's gone, it's just gone. It's been gone for years and years. But it took a lot of doing, because like I said, I had the wave really bad. So try this technique, folks. Give it space, give it air don't crowd yourself, but don't flee. Enjoy the parts of this person that you enjoy and wait for the wave to break because it will. And when it breaks, you're going to have a clearer sense of if this person is right for you or not.
0: And final question on that. How do you handle like human dynamics with the wave? Because let's say somebody's feeling it right now, like suddenly the way their per- partner like choose is making them go nuts or whatever. That's the wave. It's like, how do they not create so much space in the relationship that they hurt their other partner? You know, like it's such a navigation.
1: It's such a navigation and you ask all the hard questions. And I I love that you do that for your listeners and, and that's great. So I'll give you an example from me. So I could have been with Greg and experiencing the wave. Um, let's say we, we finished a day of work and we're uh, in the train together And he, he doesn't have the wave. He has never had the wave. He's one of those people who doesn't have it. So he's like, honey, how you doing? Let's hang out. You know, let's talk. And I'm like, in the wave. This was (laughs) early on in our relationship.
0: Feels like Bird Box where like the wind hits you and like your, your eyes are about to freeze over.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. It sucks. It sucks the wave. It really sucks. Um, You can see why people want to run from it. But so what I would do with that moment is I would check in with myself and I would see what I needed and what I wanted. At that moment, I couldn't be as friendly as he was. And then I would think, oh, I kind of know why. I'm like this highly sensitive person. I've just been through this intense day of work. I'm not quiet. I'm not calm. I'm not available. Yeah. So I think, what do I do? And what I would say to him, and he's so lovely, he gets used to it, he got used to it, I would just say, I thought about what would feel right for me, and I would just say, can we be quiet? Can I just hold your hand for a while? And then I would hold his hand for a while, and his hand felt wonderful. And I would calm down, and I would feel love, and I would feel sex, and I would feel all these good things. And then finally I could say, okay, I could talk now. (laughs) That's one little example of, of the wave. But there were so many, and then sometimes, yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. Like he would say to me, he laughs about this now. He said, for the first like few years in our relationship, you wouldn't even sleep close to me. You couldn't. But I explained it to him. I said, honey, these are my fears. These are my fears. And highly sensitive people often get hit by the wave more. That's another thing to know is that HSPs, highly sensitive people um, feel the fluctuations inside their being more. And we folks need to honor that more by asking for space. And if you ask for space in a distant in a, in a, in a, in a kind of like caring way and you acknowledge it's you and your stuff, your partner can handle it a lot better. Mm. So those are just some thoughts about that.
0: This has been so awesome, Ken. I'm so grateful that you are here. And as we're wrapping up, I'm just um, hoping that you can share how people can work with you, find you, um, you know, what they can think about as they're reading your book, anything that you have to share.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And, um, this has been just such a journey that you've kind of helped me be able to articulate. Like it was like almost a course in an episode. It was fabulous. <laughs> oh, so
0: it's my Thank pleasure. you for that. You know, I think in e-courses is what my friends tell me like steps and, but I think it's for myself. I really am my own experiment. So thank you. Thank you. And I, I hope everyone follows you. Are you on Instagram or where are you?
1: Yes, I'm on Instagram as KenpageLCSW. I'm on No, 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 as deeper.dating. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm on Twitter as um KenpageLCSW and the easiest way to find out about me is to go to deeperdatingpodcast.com. Right. I have a podcast every week where I talk about all of this good stuff and I've got a book called Deeper Dating. And you can find that anywhere online and in some bookstores too these days. It's been out for a while now. Um, But go to Deeper Dating Podcast, and when you go there, you'll get a free gift of the five keys of deeper dating or the first two chapters of my book. Um, Different, Like it comes up differently at different times. Mm -hmm. Um, But so subscribe to my podcast. That's the easiest, quickest way. Get on my mailing list, and and, uh, those are the basic ways. And read my book.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This has been so enlightening and I will be thinking of you next time I'm in the wave.
1: (laughs) Oh, (laughs) absolutely.